As a team leader, I face new challenges every day. Fortunately, I found Teams Global. Their e-learning platform makes it easy to take hyper-relevant courses like giving and receiving feedback, ownership to action, and managing virtual teams. Teams Global allows me to learn on my schedule and at a price I can afford. Check out Teams Global today at T-E-A-M-E-S-Global.com and become the leader that your team needs you to be. Teams Global has a special gift for you, the listeners of the Building Teams podcast. Use the code PODCAST10, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-0, when checking out for any Teams Global course for a 10% discount on your order. Sign up for a course today. Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co., where we explore how leaders can empower their teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Building Teams with Teams & Co. We are thrilled to invite Tim Collins, the founder and CEO of 4i Leadership. You may have remembered a few weeks ago, I was on Tim's podcast, and we are excited to have him here with us today. So, Tim, welcome. Tim, we are thrilled to have you, man. Um, aside from you having maybe the coolest accent that's ever been on the building team <laughs> with Teams & Co. podcast, uh, man, I'm just super excited to to learn more about you, hear your story, uh, and, and get into what 4i Leadership really is, is all about. So, welcome on in. How are you doing today? Uh, well, first of all, I'm very, uh, you know, sort of flushed and uh you know a little bit uh embarrassed by that compliment i i don't get i don't get uh, remarks on my accent terribly often um but no i'm i'm really pleased to be here and it's great to meet you mike uh, i had some wonderful exchanges with tracy um and i think there's a great alignment of thinking and knowing and being uh, and the way that you guys uh, are sort of coming at this work i think there's a there's a real alignment with what we're doing here in australia so it's great to be here yeah. Well, Tim, maybe we can start by just hearing your story. We'd love to hear sort of your, you know, your professional background and and what eventually led to you starting 4i Leadership. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the kind of the the, the short version and, uh, and then you can double click wherever you like. So my accent's a little bit sort of blended uh, because I grew up in the UK, but then I've had really most of my professional working life here. And I went through the the sort of the public school system in the UK and did well enough to to go to uh, one of the leading universities and I studied organizational behavior as an undergrad not really having any sense at that point of what I would do post college but it was it was a topic that kind of combined a number of things that I had uh, done as electives um sociology and business studies and history it's a very anthropological approach to looking at people in organizations so I kind of fell out into the workplace um, and got picked up by a big global recruitment company and basically ended up doing that for 15 years through the sort of the transactional houses and executive search and then getting invited to do more and more one-on-one leadership capability building as a leadership coach and then do organizational design consulting work and then learning framework design. Um, mm. and time in corporate was a real mixed bag. Some of it was outstanding. Some of it was absolutely terrible. Um, both in terms of my performance, frankly, and the experience I had as an employee and a, a growing leader. 
And so I took a big leap of faith. The week before our first child was born, I quit my very nicely well-paid, secure corporate job to jump with uh, both feet and whole heart into entrepreneurship. I would like to add, with the full blessing and endorsement of my wife, um, <laughs> and uh, that was nearly eight years ago. And 4i was the the second iteration in in entrepreneurship. So that was um, that was co-founded uh, nearly six years ago. And in a nutshell, uh, 4i is what is now becoming increasingly uh, sort of popular. It's a sort of a decentralized collective entity. So we have lots of contributors that bring their own essence and potential to the the party. Um, everybody's focused on you know leaders really bringing a significant contribution to the world, and they then apply themselves as you know, a learning framework designer or as a recruiter or as a coach. Um, and I have a late stage co-founder now in LA as well, uh, who has a, a doctorate in organizational um, development and learning design. Um, and yeah, we're trying to kind of push the push the boundaries, work around the fringes, trying to do the more um, confronting, kind of provocative stuff. So we're doing a lot of work um, in the social justice space through the organizational context in inclusion, diversity, and equity. We're working around climate action, uh, and I think the strongest alignment, uh, you know, with yourselves at Teams is the whole meaningful work thing. Right? What what is it that we're trying to achieve when when we show up to do work? Uh, and for us, you know, we speak a lot to things like purpose and values and mission, of course. Um, but fundamentally, it's like, what's your strongest connection with what you're doing on a daily basis? And why is that something that you should keep showing up to do and want to do more of? That's awesome, Tim. And and I love the meaningful work connection between our, our organizations. And we're really cognizant, especially as you think through the beginning of the year, right? Everybody's trying to make sure they have a clear vision for the year. They've got their strategic plan in place. They've got all those pieces and parts in terms of purpose. How do you usually talk to organizations and leaders around kind of setting a purpose, setting that mission, making sure people have not only the organizational mission, but also that personal mission and that connection? How do you build that connection when you're working um, you know, with the groups that you work with? Well, I think it has to start with the organization first, um, unless it's completely brand new. And most organizations have got a mission defined. I mean, that's typically sort of where the corporate strategy work is done. Uh, and I think purpose has certainly been manifesting more and more the last decade and especially the last couple of years through the, the pandemic. And I think now what I sense, and, and really I'm, I'm just sort of speaking to the Australian context here um, myself, because it's where my work's orientated. I think we're on a bit of a threshold where the majority of organizations now recognize that simply achieving good results and having a, a dividend return to shareholder or an ROI uh, to investors is simply not enough. It's actually not even what their investors expect anymore, but it's certainly not what you know their customers expect and it's not what the talent that drives the success of their organization expects. So it is about a greater contribution and whether or not that is to you know, creating a, a legacy through products and services that will outlast the current organizational contributors, or it's it's making a meaningful impact in the world and kind of creating a force for good through the operations uh, and success of your business. And I really like Paul Pullman's work in this space around a net positive organization, which is not just about climate. So the question that we take to founders, you know, chief executives, boards, is really you know the the big aspirational questions like what's possible for this organization like what's the greatest impact you could have 
or what's most important to you collectively as the constituent elements of this entity that we call a business. And once you've defined what's most important, well, how do you orientate the operations of your business to contributing to that? Is it directly through what you do? Is it indirectly through you know, an extension into sort of social enterprise or donation or you know, some kind of outreach? Um, and that tends to be where the conversations start. What's possible? What's the greatest impact? And what's most important? Yeah, one of the things that strikes me, Tim, is there's um, an example I bring up often is like the marathon example, right? Running a marathon is really simple. You just put one foot in front of the other for 26.2 miles. It's just really difficult to do. And it strikes me that shifting, you know, sort of social pressures to to being more purpose-driven, to being more mission-driven, i.e. not just having a mission statement on a company's website, but actually using it to make important strategic decisions and and living into trying to drive a greater purpose. It's just a tough thing to do. So I'd love to hear more about your work in working with organizational leaders to move beyond just mission statement is something that you sort of have to have to mission statement and purpose and values is something that are actually used and meaningful in the context of a workplace. Yeah, sure. So I might give you two anecdotes. I mean, I I think not that I you know, sort of really like to blow any kind of smoke in our direction, but I, I think I can speak with the most kind of comfort to what that journey has been for us as an entity. And I'll also speak to one of our clients and, and what I like about them is how progressive they already were when they invited us to help kind of take them to the next level and now what they're striving for. So for us, like I would say, we didn't have a clearly defined purpose when mm. we started out in 2016 what we did have was a sense that what we were being invited to do by our clients was combine services and help them reach beyond the boundaries of just yeah kind of the constant growth and improvement model to that there was already i think at least probably at a subconscious level an awareness that there should be more meaning to working with an external provider to focus on potential and capability right but it didn't really kind of all click for us until about four years ago, so two years in, when I was having a conversation uh, with our advisory board and they were really pushing me on basically why I was doing what I was doing. And this thing that I now have on this T-shirt, <laughs> this literally just kind of emerged like impulsively. Like I was I was, you know, getting pumped in the boardroom. I was really getting pushed on why are you doing this? I kept coming up with these like superficial, just like flim flam statements. And and one of the um one of the board just kind of went, Come on, Tim, just stop mucking around. Like, what is it? And I was like, Look, if we have better leaders, we'll have a better world. And the room just kind of went and for a good like couple of minutes, and then that uh woman just went, Oh, that's that's great. <laughs> like that. that's it that's the that, that that's 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 the whole thing and 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 the next person that that, that contributed was the board member who who's known me the longest and he said look this yeah you know, this is great that this has emerged like this has been in you for so long like we've had so many you know conversations in a bike saddle or on the trail or whatever because we're good friends where th- yeah this is so obvious in you right that you're trying to do something trying to have a greater extension and impact into the world it's taken you a while but now you've found a way to connect everything that you are that you're doing and bring it through the world of work so yeah so that's that's when we 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 sort of discovered it and then we sort of started to declare this and it's then just been an ongoing journey of 
experimenting with this? How does this land with people? Do they move towards it? Do they move away? And some of our customers at the time did move away. You know, like they, mm-hmm. they weren't in for doing anything grander or greater. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's okay. And they've gone elsewhere and no doubt, you know, they're continuing to do well. But over time, you know, we have basically drawn towards us more and more organizations that are trying to, um, you know, sort of have this this greater role, if you will. Um, and yeah, and now this, this sort of um, last year and, and the next couple of years moving forward, we are trying to orientate our work more towards these very big movements that, that uh, are gathering momentum and, and really need as much sort of support as, as we can add to them. And then this client analogy. So this is a very large property business, one of Australia's biggest, and they're celebrated as a diversity employer, particularly in, in regards to gender and their award-winning to gender diversity employers. And they're really looking at it and saying, well, that's not enough. Like we can do so much more with this. There's a lot more to diversity than gender. There's a lot more... Um, responsibility that we have as a highly successful organization and they're really kind of pushing the boundaries and the work that we're doing with them is bringing a lot of different entities we've got 14 entities altogether that are their primary subcontractors and we're bringing them into a co-creative initiative to design what they think a truly inclusive um, environment as a workplace would look like Uh, and we're piloting this at the moment and this is this is confronting and, and challenging and exciting work for a lot of these people but they're really leaning into it so it's great to see and and i think the purpose here is any organization of any size but especially really big ones like there's a massive compounding effect that organizations can have to sort of multiply all the good intention of their employees and and have that as a as a big unit create a, a vaster um, or a vastly more significant impact in the world Tim, that resonates so much with uh, with us because we always say that about teams, right? You can have a, an impact as an individual, but being a part of a team, you can have that exponential impact, right? And that's that's the exciting piece of the work. And um, I'll take this opportunity to kind of, if folks didn't hear um, the podcast between Tim and I previously on, on his show, he made this great analogy about the interconnectedness uh, of organizations and using a, a spider web and how if you kind of tug on one piece, it all it all moves and uh, I'll let him explain the analogy, but kind of to preface it, one of the things that I find really interesting is, you know, the thing that I think slows leaders down and organizations down are these friction points, right? There's there's a natural friction in organizations, right? Each functional area has the thing they need to do, and that's, you know, kind of built into an organization. But a lot of times we get into these silos, and and as you sort of start talking about impact and how do we exponentially raise our impact... One of the ways I see leaders can help their teams do that is taking away some of those friction points. And, and we speak about that often at Teams & Co. So maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about, about that, but you know, refresh our audience's memory on kind of this spider web analogy and how you're thinking about kind of silos versus more of that organizational approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for what you shared before, which is that this uh, analogy is really sort of nested uh, for you and, and you get a constant, near a constant reminder of it with all the spider webs that, <laughs> uh, that exist in your place. So I think the one, the one I'm going to start is, is, is sort of just framing this whole analogy with the word tension, right? And I think there's a, there's a big difference between friction and tension. Um, and I think tension is, is, is just a really um, more effective use of language to describe what we actually want in organizations that that's, there's a sort of a, there's an amount of tension that is beneficial 
And there is an amount of friction which can be helpful, but most of the time it, 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 it's too abundant and, and it's unhelpful. This is an analogy to really demonstrate connection and that silos just don't exist um, and that no event ever exists in isolation. Even if you're in a COVID lockdown and you can't interact with anybody, you're still actually not in isolation. So if you have got access to a spider's web currently, then go and pause this and go you know, sort of interact with a spider web in real life. But if you don't, or you don't right now, then if you just visualize a spider's web, and particularly if you visualize it early in the morning with droplets of dew just sort of hanging on it. And then if you go and stand and observe that spider's web, you'll see that every part of it is an integral whole, right? Every element is there by design, everything has purpose, and everything is there working cohesively towards a shared goal, right? To, to gather basically calories for the owner of the web. If you gently interact with the spider's web and you'll find that gently actually is surprisingly sort of dynamic right spider's webs can actually take quite a bit of pressure if uh, if you kind of apply it in the right way so if you interact in a single point at anywhere on the web the whole web shifts like no part of it stays the same some parts shift dramatically some parts shift barely noticeably but everything moves and then if you interact with multiple points at the same time, then that effect is compounded. And this effect is most dramatic if you go and you interact at the points of the web that connect to the outside world, whether it's attached to a tree or in our case, a trampoline frame. And in the organizational context, that's where your organization meets the market or your investors or your stakeholders or a, you know, a, a government entity that might have some you know, sort of legal or legislative uh, impact on what your organization does. So where your organization meets those points, like that's where the dynamism is most pronounced, right? That's where if you do something different, you'll see a significant shift in that interaction and that'll compound all the way through your organization. So you launch a new product, that product goes well or it tanks, your organization is going to react concurrently. But you can also say, well, what if you know, we, we have one of our you know, key people or our key teams go down for a while. They all contract COVID at the same time. Or there's a major power outage in the, the area where, you know, they're dependent on you know, online connection for their work. So now, apologies to the spider, but just tease out a couple of, you know, the threads. Well, the whole web doesn't fall down. The organization doesn't stop. But there is now a gap and that capacity needs to be picked up by other parts of the web if it's still going to basically do its job and catch things. So I just think this is a helpful analogy to demonstrate that there is dynamic load that will sort of transmit all the way through an organization whenever anything changes. Um, there is an extent to which things can fall away and the whole will continue, but in a reduced capacity. And if you've ever then sat and watched a spider repair the web, they never make the same web twice. When they're patching the holes, their aim is not to put back what was before, it's to make it better and to work with what they've now got and to reform something which is now more efficient based on the remaining structure. And I think that also is really important when it comes to teams, right? So if a key person leaves, are you aiming to replace like for like or are you aiming to replace with something that's better? And now... Let's hear about the wonderful people that support this podcast. 
Are you spending more time managing your accounting than you are managing your team? Maybe it's time to bring on a professional to help you. Michelle Trotz and her team are an accounting and consulting firm that specializes in contract accounting, outsourced CFO and consulting services. They give you the time that you need to focus on operating your organization. Give the Michelle Trotz CPA, CFE, PLLC firm a call today to schedule your free consultation at 828-280-2530. Again, that's 828-280-2530. You don't have to run your organization alone. Michelle Trotz is your partner in accounting. I have a couple follow-on questions. Number one, Australia is a super scary place in terms of spiders. (laughs) Are you out there in the field doing field research with scary Australia spiders? Uh, By default, uh, yeah, they're Australia spiders. (laughs) I I don't import, uh, you know, sort of um, safe to handle spiders just for my, uh, you know, sort of evil, uh, you know, sort of uh, interference plans. No, I mean, I'm standing in my garden and, and, and these things are doing what they're doing. Uh, so very quick aside, like the reality um, living in Australia is like most of what exists on this land can, if it wishes, kill you. Um, the reality is that it doesn't want to, right? Like I don't know anyone um, that has been bitten by a spider, right? But these things are around you all the time. And, you know, there's more people killed in car accidents than are killed by crocodiles, sharks and spiders in Australia every year. Um so yes, there's a lot of dangerous wildlife here. Um, the good thing is that apart from a brown snake, Australian wildlife won't actually track you and hunt you like African wildlife and some American wildlife. So yeah, there's upside. <laughs> Very nice. That's Very actually nice. the well, same tagline that um, I went on a tour when I was in uh, Australia. I went on a tour, like a walking tour of the one of the rainforests, and that was what our guide said. They're like, "Don't touch anything. Something will kill you." And we were like, "Oh." Okay, that that's it's a very ominous way to start a walk. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, on the flip side, yeah, you know, once you know really a lot more than I know, but you know, I've been here a little while and I'm interested, so I know a little bit more than some. There's also a lot here that can sustain you, right? So this is this is how the web works, right? Yeah. Like we've got native plants and foodstuffs here that have got ridiculous benefits. You know, like more antioxidants than any other plants in the world. Like kangaroo has got an incredible like calorie to um, fat ratio, the highest iron content of any red meat. Um, so yeah, once you understand a place, you'll find a way to be in it that is nourishing and nurturing for everyone. I feel like that's our next analogy to dive into. I mean, we won't because Mike has really good questions coming, but that's a that's a nice metaphor. <laughs> No, for sure. I mean, I I was thinking of a natural way to extend that, right? Because you can look at that web, right? That organ or that spider web that exists within the context of a broader, much more dynamic, much more complex ecosystem that will have components and and things that that cause changes to it, right? Just like the legislative environment may change, or you know, consumer demand will shift toward one thing or another. Um, so. My next question really is is along those lines. Like when you're working with leaders, there are some things that must always stay the same, right? From a purpose perspective or a values perspective, I think it's okay for and necessary for organizations to be inflexible 
on certain points. And in other points, it's necessary to be flexible. Like if consumer demand shifts away from a core product, service, or offering, organizations have to be nimble and flexible in certain areas. So would love sort of your, your thoughts and perspectives on when things change, how do you adapt and and what do you know is is off limits to to adaptation? So I might be a little bit uh, provocative in the first part of my response and say, I think nothing is constant and nothing is inflexible. But what you need to look at is the, is the adaptability in context and in a time frame. Right, so if if an organisation keeps anything completely immovable over the span of a hundred years, they'll become irrelevant, right? Mm. So the obvious one, Ford, right? If Ford had just gone, look, you know, really for us, it's black or you're out, then they would have been out a very long time ago. Um, so and just to ensure what we're talking about here is the original Ford car was only available in one colour and that was black. You could have any colour yep. you liked as long as it was black. That's what we're referring to. So. But with purpose and values and mission, there should be a real consistent adoption of the meaning and application of those things in the long term. But there should be a recognition that that it might need to be revised over a long term period of time. And I'm talking decades, right? Long term, decades, medium term, three to 10 years, short term, less than three years. So I think when change occurs... um, and let's just let's just for the sake of variety not talk about the pandemic since that's where everyone's um sense <laughs> to go at the moment. Let's talk about a new competitor enters your marketplace, right? And that causes you some short-term disruption. So what are you going to do? Are you going to abandon purpose values mission and just kind of go head to head and do whatever you need to do to you know absorb the price pressure maybe or you know sort of extend into features and services that this new product has that yours didn't and then maybe you're going to find that you had capacity and capability you never knew and now you can match them or you try and meet them and and you miss the mark and it actually devalues your product even further. So I think the advice that I would give based on our experience is your purpose and your values and your mission are what keeps you alive. They're your muscles and your skeleton, right? That actually is the substance of you as an entity. So unless you're planning on growing another arm or cutting one off, like it needs to be that radical, uh, a sort of a shift, right? If you're going to change what your purpose, values, and mission are, what you need to do is figure out what you do with these things in order to serve the environment that you find yourself in. And that is on an hourly basis, right? So if your values are your arms and your purpose are your legs, right? Your legs are continually taking you in a direction that you're pursuing and your arms are kind of figuring out what to interact with in order to get you there. Well, that variation is constant, right? You're constantly feeling out the ground under your feet and making those minor adjustments to move effectively over the terrain. And your arms are figuring out whether to grab a vine and swing across a bridge or, you know, help you leap across it or whatever. So values only exist in their lived behavioral state respond fully to one of your previous questions values that just exist on a wall or on a contract or you know in some marketing material you might as well not have them if your values can exist in the actual minute by minute live behavior of your organization consistently not uniformly but consistently then you've actually got something that's worth having and will become the unique essence of your organization so something like being honest although most of the time honest is the value Uh, But if you can turn that into a verb and make it action-based, so being honest, always, 
then you've actually got a shot at, at nurturing a consistent behavior that your organization will be known for. And that is something that will stand the test of time, can be adapted to an extent, but there's kind of compromise points. And I use analogies when we're working with teams around values of sort of gardens that are surrounded by walls and gates, right? So if you're, if you're living in the garden, you're going to be doing different things at different time to nurture the environment. But as long as you are consistent and living those values in that space, it'll flourish. If you find yourself exerting a comparable amount of effort to climb over a wall, even a wall that's shoulder high, that's you finding yourself in a behavior which is contradictory to your values. You're actually trying to move out of a space which is nurturing. And you see this with people who are sort of acting in a behavior that a part of them knows is contradictory to what they're trying to achieve. Like you see people getting super red in the face. They might be perspiring. They might be really tense in the hands and the shoulders and the face, right? That's the kind of effort and energy that's involved with climbing over a wall. So that's this really sort of extraordinary level of behavior, which is contradictory to your lived values. Or you might see someone demonstrate a more moderate behavior, like walking up to a picket fence gate, opening the gate and walking through it. And these are sort of changes away from the constant of lived values that are more acceptable in the short term, but it still requires effort to walk back through that gate, kind of come back into that nourishing, flourishing garden and say, oh yeah, I went over there for a bit and you know, I kind of walked through the gate, but I'm back now and yeah, that's, you know, I've got to own that action. Whereas if you find yourself on the other side of a wall, sometimes, you know, you're very isolated, you're, you're away from the environment, you might feel lost, it might take real effort to come back. So how often have you seen a manager, because of maybe stress or pressure from another source, like absolutely rip into someone in front of the whole team or, even, or in front of a customer or a supplier? And then very often that manager's behavior after that is to go into their office, shut their door, sit there and basically sulk for some time. And they're kind of recalibrating what just happened. And that might be unconscious. Um, and then it takes real effort for them to kind of come back and make good and reconnect with their team and that individual. And that's like climbing back over the wall. When you're on that wall, you're sulking in your office with your door closed and it's going to take real effort to climb back over. So we find that these metaphors are really helpful in identifying actual behavior currently and sort of calibrating the amount of effort that's required and the fact that it's actually nicer just to stay in the garden and live your values. Yeah, so Tim, that, that's like a great segue into what we've been, we've been talking a lot about at Teams & Co, which is, you know, those those moments as a leader are incredibly difficult. And one of the things we have been working on a lot with Teams Global, our online learning platform, is how to prepare new leaders for things like that, right? When you're a new leader, you just oftentimes are promoted because you're really good at your job, but you maybe don't get the training you need in leadership. And it's a struggle for new leaders, especially in those situations when they're trying to find their way and, you know, map their boundaries. So what would be your advice to a new leader as they're kind of taking on a, a leadership role? Are there key pieces of wisdom that you would share from your perspective and, and your career journey? So I think the the, the, the direct advice um, would be don't do what I did most of the time. Um, as, a, as, a, as a person who was given their first leadership role aged 11, a, a paid leadership role, I might add, um, which was as the the lead in a in a boys' cathedral choir, um, where we did TV and, and stuff like that. It wasn't just a kind of a casual thing. Um, but my first co corporate leadership role was in my mid twenties, and I adopted almost as a mimic the behaviour of the leaders 
that were more senior in the organization. And that got me some results, but the results were very mixed and it got me a lot of internal strife. And I think the team would have been more successful if I had done less of the obvious things that I was mimicking and more of the more subtle things that were more a reflection of things that people saw in me that were the reason why they gave me the role. But then I kind of forgot in my kind of impostering that I didn't really know what I was doing. So I think my specific advice would be at a high level to focus on work in three areas, work in yourself, work within the team, and then work within the organization and the broader organizational context that you're working in. So I think in yourself, there's some certain things to really lean into that most probably because you're in the chair, you have these, but I think these are really important skills and capabilities to um, to reflect on and then figure out where you might want to develop these further. So critical thinking, you know, to think for yourself, to question evidence and data and not just accept it barefaced, to be adaptable, to be resilient, to be constantly learning and to be intuitive. Within the team, I think really nurture inclusion so that everybody can bring as much as they can to what the team is aiming to achieve and foster diversity in the broadest possible sense. Try and focus on the essence of every individual in the team and how they are connecting to their role. And then look at your team as an opportunity to build and combine unique capabilities, not just line up a bunch of people and have them all do the same thing every day. And then within the organizational context, I think really you know, referencing the conversation we've had here, I think however young you are, however new to leadership you are, you can still be inviting the organization to do more in terms of being purpose-led, values-based, have real clarity of mission, have a focus on potential at an organizational team and individual level, and develop capability. And if frankly, if an organization isn't doing those things, and if anything that we've resonated um, with today has resonated with you, then I'd be saying you might want to think about changing the organizational context because there's plenty of places where you can find these things. Man, Tim, I, I am guessing we're going to need to have you back for a second episode <laughs> at some point because there's so much further and deeper that I think we can go on on each of those points. Um, one thing that I think, I, I and I know that we're drawn up against time here, but I'd be remiss not to ask about um, the reflection that's required by a leader for all three of those, right? And And one of the things that I I find personally is I'm so busy doing in the course of a day that I struggle to find time and struggle to develop processes that force me to be intentionally self-reflective. And I think knowing as an individual, understanding your team members well, and then understanding your team within the context of a broader organization, in order to do any of that, it seems that you need to be intentionally self-reflective. So any advice you'd give to help leaders foster that skill? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an awesome point, Mike. I have another t-shirt that says, pay attention to your intention. And hmm. it's my most popular facilitation shirt. Like where, when I wear that, I get the most feedback on, on that shirt as I'm interacting with groups. Hmm. Um, so I think reflection is a habit, right? Like most things that we need to do more of, it's something that, you know, first needs to become a an awareness, a behavior that you have awareness that is, there's a benefit to cultivating. Then you start to deliberately program moments 
to do it in, right? This doesn't need to be like an hour and a half journal setting meditative process, right? You need like microseconds throughout the day to reflect on, uh, was I paying attention to my intention in that meeting? Why did I respond that way when that happened? How might I go and progress now in a different way based on what's just occurred? Or how am I going to enter into this next session in a way where I am continually paying attention to my intention and respecting the intention of others? So I would, I would actually kind of go in a contradictory way to how most people come at this and say, don't try and carve out like big spaces in your day to do your reflection, right? If you have an hour commute home in the car, okay, sure. Maybe don't immediately tune into a podcast, even one as great as the team's podcast. Um, but just, just turn the radio off for five minutes and think about something that, you know, maybe is particularly important to you, particularly salient from the day. Or through the day, take those micro moments, you know, when you're sitting there filling your water bottle up or, you know, standing in, in, in line for a coffee, right? Those are the moments to reflect, right? You don't need these enormous grand moments of time. Because again, that's what I used to try and do. I never kept it up. I never made the space. And I have journals sitting there with like sporadic, you know, entries that were like six months apart. And that's not helpful, Right. Whereas to spend five seconds thinking about the last meeting and the next meeting as I'm moving from one space to another, like that's enough to begin to form a habit of reflection. That's I think that's great, great I, advice, yeah. I, I was going to say to follow up on that, and this is uh, this is a great reminder and, and encouragement, Tim. I, I had a professor uh, who who said he did this when he brushed his teeth. He's like, you're going to brush your teeth anyway. What else are you doing? And it's a very you know, natural physiological reminder of, okay, when I'm doing this thing, I'm going to take that time to, to reflect. Plus you brush your teeth longer. So it's going on two fronts. <laughs> he says everybody wins. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's also a really good exercise to do together, right? To do, you know, with mm -hmm. a, with a peer leader, you know, do with a trusted buddy in the workplace, you know, do with your mentor. I mean, really that's what mentors and coaches are for, uh, you know, to invoke reflection and, and stimulate, you know, sort of pause for thought. Uh, but it's also fantastic to do with your team um, and to do not by just sharing your reflections as a leader, but cultivate a reflective practice as a team, right? And be prepared to sit there and be the last one to speak or know that sometimes silence is is your biggest contribution as a leader when the rest of the group is is holding the space and, and sharing their reflections. Yeah, and I think it, it goes to a lot of the things around like the successful pieces of leadership is how do you try to just fit things into your daily routine, right? I think over a lot of times as leaders, we all try to do these big grand initiatives and they don't move forward because they're not easy, right? They're something addition to all of our days. So I just love that because we talk about that a lot about in terms of like building communication into your normal cadence or feedback into your normal cadence and self-reflection is the same way, which is if you try to carve out, you know, a full day or hours, it may not work, but if you can find those little moments, you'll, th those will start to add up. We had a, we had a guest a few weeks ago saying he, he used to try to find just like do one more thing a day. And if you could just like write that one more email, all of that would just kind of cumulatively add up to a much bigger success. So, so really enjoyed that conversation too. But Tim, we've, we've been able to ask you a ton of questions, but are there anything that you'd like to share with our audience? I, I'm sure after this conversation, they're going to want to learn more about 4i and about your work. So we'd just love to have you point us in the right direction into 
you know, things that you're working on or, or ways we can follow you? Uh, well, thank you for the time and, uh, and for your attention. I really appreciate both. This has been awesome. Um, so yes, if you're curious about us, 4aleadership.com, um, most of our work is in Australia and we have um, one of our uh, co-founders, Dr. Tom Allen Livenois, is in LA. All of our work stateside is in California currently. Um, so appreciating uh, you know, that you're uh, over on the east side. If there's anything that you know, you'd, you'd like to explore um, and Tom works with us here in Australia remotely and, and we work uh, to support him stateside as well so have a look at the website the podcast uh you know which we were blessed to have tracy on as a guest um is the better world leaders podcast uh, and you'll find that wherever you like listening to podcasts and aside from that there's all of our other social platforms we're busiest on linkedin uh so if you want to come follow us and uh engage with any of our stuff there stuff you might like stuff stuff you might dislike or disagree with or may find is is is, is uncomfortable for you then uh, we'd love to hear about any and all thoughts you have uh, so yeah we'll get those in the show notes if you uh, if you want to scroll down and follow us there that's great. Well, we'll be sure to include all those, Tim. And man, we just really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on. I think this was such an awesome conversation and I just wish we could go on for longer. Um, but with that, we'll just encourage everybody who's listening to hit us with a like, a, a subscribe and leave us some comments. We always love uh, hearing the comments that come in uh, from this podcast in particular. And, and Tim, if we get any for you, we'll be sure to direct those your way as well. But I um, really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Building Teams with Teams and Go podcast and see you all next week. See you later. Thanks, Tim. Bye. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams and Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsandco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an endorsement by Teams & Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice. 